So, to start off tonight. Your youth pastor is speaking. Thank you, Andy. Much not needed. All right. (laughs) Okay. All right. Many, many much moosin. All right. So, anyway. um, So, we're going to be continuing our potential pitfall section of the study. uh, And we're going to be taking a a week to talk about this because this one is an issue that, um, you know, even this past week was, uh, was a very humbling one for me. Um, because there isn't a day that goes by that we don't have to deal with sin. We have to deal with sin. And if you're not willing to deal with sin in your own life, um, you're going to be just unfruitful. Like you're, the life that you live is going to be godless. It's just going to be that way. And so this is something that we all need, and we need this desperately. Um, if you're not willing to humble yourself and to deal with sin in your life, God cannot get glory from your life. And if God can't get glory from your life, then why in the world are you even saved? I mean, that's the whole purpose of it. You are born again in order to bring God glory. You are not your own any longer. The Bible says very clearly in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that you've been bought with a price. That's the blood of Jesus Christ. And when you trust Christ as your Savior, you have gained everything, but you have also lost your life. Your life is not yours any, any longer. And see, that's the part of the struggle that we have, at least that I know that I've had in my own heart and in my own life with this is because um, I want to do the things that I want to do. And I see this in my kids. I see it in me. I see it in society. And people are wanting to do whatever they want in order to please themselves at the expense of other people. That is Laodicea. And that is the heart of humanity. And so if you really want to glorify God, which is not easy during this time, it's just not easy. And it's going to get harder and harder. But if you want to glorify God, you have to be willing to deal with sin. No matter how bad it is, no matter how embarrassing it is, you've got to be willing to deal with it. And so we need to talk about it. We've got to talk about it. And so we're going to be talking about that as we head into this. So how this all fits in. Your communication with God is absolutely critical. You will not be able to read and pray consistently and meaningfully without giving your heart to the Lord on a daily basis. Submitting, yielding your heart. And this is at the core of sin because when we don't yield our heart to God then we are going to be yielding our heart to this world and to our flesh, to the devil, because those are the three enemies that come against us all the time. And so that is where sin really comes from. And we're going to talk more about that. But as you communicate with God, you will begin in your relationship with God to start to evangelize, tell other people about who God is, and try to set the record straight for people that are very confused about God and in false doctrine, and discipleship, learning how to be like Jesus in this world. And then from there, you'll start to grow, and you can get into how to study the Bible, memorizing the Bible, and discipleship on the discipler front, where you're actually making disciples of Jesus Christ. And so that growth section here is very, very critical. And then you have potential pitfalls. And those potential pitfalls are always there, but those potential pitfalls are definitely going to come into play when you really begin to grow in your walk with God. So this is something very, very critical that we have got to pay attention to. So you've got to be able to deal with this in your life. And so that's really where we want to begin. We talked about our our enemies last week, and now this week we're going to be talking about, and this is really the fight against the flesh on a daily basis, but personal sin issues. And then next week we're going to talk about potential pitfalls in relationships, both in the dating realm and friendships and family. And we're going to talk about ruts and plateaus. What, how do you even get out of a rut? How do you get out of a plateau? What is it like being in one and how frustrating it can be? And then talking about life transitions and how those are definitely points of vulnerability. So we're going to talk tonight about personal sin issues. So this one is critical, absolutely critical. So I hope you guys, you'll, you'll know, like some of these things I feel like you already know, but as far as practicing them, these are the things that we really fall short in. 
because we're very quick to cover up our sin. We're very quick to hide it. We're very quick to dress it up. It's like a corpse. Have you ever tried to dress up a corpse? Have you ever seen a corpse dressed up? <laughs> You're like, oh yeah, I do it all the time. <laughs> all right, we'll have to set up like another meeting or another time to talk about that issue. <laughs> but honestly, like if any of you have had loved ones that have passed away and you've gone to their funeral, that's happened to me. You know, I remember when my cousin died when he was 26 years old. And I remember when my grandma died. And I remember when my grandpa died. And I remember when the other grandma died. And, and I remember going to these funerals. And I remember just seeing them there. And it wasn't them. Like, it wasn't them. It just wasn't them. They were dressed up. They had makeup and stuff on. But it just wasn't them. Can you guys stop, please? It's distracting me from teaching. So when it comes to these issues, you've got to learn how to deal with these things and deal with these sin issues. Because if you're not willing to deal with these sin issues, then you're not going to go anywhere with the Lord. And so why even come to church? I mean, seriously, like if you're not going to be, if you're not willing to deal with sin in your life, then what are you doing and why are you here? Are you here just because of somebody else that's here? Are you here just because it looks good? Are you here just because your parents are forcing you to be here? Like this really comes down to the core of the issue of why are you actually here? Are you in this for the right reasons? Because if you're in this for the right reasons, you will be willing to deal with your sin. So we need to talk about it. We got to talk about it. Okay, so first things first. We're going to talk about common pitfalls and we're going to talk about these sin issues. All right, so personal sin issues. Okay, so this is like a paragraph I put together that there's a lot of doctrine here. We covered some of it already last week, but this is a, a, a great paragraph to really set the tone. And if you want to get into some of these passages on your own, please do. So personal sin issues. This is the main battlefield and it is with our flesh. The flesh is the most dangerous and deceitful of all enemies of God because we are daily entangled with it until we are finally deemed from it once and for all. Positionally, so once you're saved, positionally with God, we have been set free from all sin and have overcome the flesh. So positionally, that is true, but practically it's a different story. Practically, we are not set free until we are redeemed from our body and we're given a new glorified body like Christ's. The reason why you are born again and you still struggle with sin is because you are in this flesh. This is the issue. This is the enemy. And there's a lot of people. And I remember that I had a pastor when I was growing up that really helped me with this because I was saved when I was five years old. And so I didn't have a very radical testimony. Um, I didn't, you know, I wasn't in the, the partying scene. I wasn't drinking. I wasn't doing drugs. I wasn't sleeping around or anything like that. And then all of a sudden I get saved. And now my life is like darkness to light. Like I didn't have that kind of testimony. So I struggled a little bit with, am I actually saved? Because if I'm actually saved, why am I struggling with these certain sin issues? And I remember a pastor put it to me this way. He said, you know, when you sin and no one else is around, are you convicted? Do you feel bad about those sins? Or do you feel bad once you get caught? Because if you feel bad once you get caught and how that sin affects other people, that's no guarantee that you're saved. It's when no one else is looking and no one else is around and you do those things that God is convicting you deep in your heart. Because lost people don't care. Lost people love to sin. They love to sin. They may hate how it might affect. Like, you know, think about a lost person that they're married and, you know, the one cheats on his wife or the, the wife cheats on her husband uh, and it affects the kids. Like they might have some guilt because it affects children and it affects even maybe their relationship, but they really just don't care because they're in it for themselves and to satisfy themselves. So we as believers, if you don't struggle with sin, like if you sin and you just don't care, 
Like if no one else ever found out about the secret sin issues in your life, no one ever was able to open up that door of your, your secret sin closet, would you be okay with that? Because if you're okay with that, you're not saved. You're not. How can you be? Because the spirit of God lives inside of you and he doesn't let you have secret doors and secret closets of sin. He convicts you and he makes you miserable until you deal with it or God has to deal with you. So that's really one of the key indicators of whether or not you are born again and you have the spirit inside of you. And that helped me because I always struggled with sin. Like from the moment I was saved and I remember growing up, I would make mistakes and it would just eat at me and I couldn't let it go. And when I tried to hide it, I was so guilty and I was so, I just, I was absolutely miserable. And it began to change my personality, my demeanor, the way I carried myself. It changed everything about me. And I didn't even realize it part of the time. So this is very important. Practically, we struggle until the day that our body is redeemed. You are going to struggle with sin. And so here's where we need to jump off from. Sin was dealt with on the cross through Jesus Christ. That is absolutely true. Therefore, I am dead to sin and sin cannot control me. The fact is, I sin because I choose to sin. And that is the reality. And if we can start off there, which is where we really ended last week, if we can start there, then we can actually begin to understand how to deal with sin. Once you understand the fact that when you sin, it is your choice to sin, then you can take personal responsibility and you can actually start to clean this mess up. So that's something that's very important. And that is getting lost in our society. No one wants to take the blame for their own mistakes. And that is totally unbiblical and very ungodly. So we need to start there. All right. So there's really two aspects of this that we need to talk about. The first one is when I choose to sin against others, how do I properly deal with it? So when I choose to sin, are you going to go your own way or are you going to go God's way? All right. So there's five things here for each point that I came up with. There's probably more that we could do, but there's really five that I really wanted to cover. And I felt that this would cover everything in its entirety. All right. So the very first thing, very first thing, go to Revelation chapter three, Revelation chapter three, and uh, give me someone to look up Ezekiel, Ezekiel 20 verse 43. Isaac, thank you. All right. Revelation chapter three and uh, verse 19 is going to be our verse. Revelation 3, the section that we're going to be getting into, verse 19, and then um, even for our next point, dealing with the, the churches, the seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3. This one's talking about Laodicea. Laodicea. So Revelation chapter 3, verse 19 is going to be our verse, but let's do the point first. So point number one, so when I choose to sin against others, how do I properly deal with it? Number one, be humble, honest, and thorough thorough is your blank there, thorough about your sin and repent. Be humble, be honest, and thorough about your sin and repent. Look at Revelation 3, verse 19. Revelation 3, verse 19. This is what Jesus says to us, our church age that we live in. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. So he goes into this whole discussion about Laodicea and how they don't really see their sin. They don't really see the mistakes. They don't see the problem. They don't realize that they are naked, that they are miserable, that they are poor, that they are blind, that they are wretched. And yet he says, you need to anoint your eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see in verse 18. And then he says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. So if you belong to God and you are in the Laodicean church period, God is going to love you. And you can know that he loves you by the way he rebukes you and he chastens you. And I try to reinforce this with my kids all the time. You know, we've been having some issues, some, some issues I've been dealing with with, uh, with Lucas on a couple things. 
and um, and I have repeatedly over and over, I repeat this thing to him, and I said, "Listen, I punish you. I have rules. There are consequences because I love you. What kind of a father would I be if I just let you go and do whatever you wanted? I would I would lead you down a path where your life would be a disaster." And I would ask him, do you want to be a dad one day? Which, of course, he does because he takes after me. I've always wanted to be a dad ever since I've been little. And so he's like, yeah, I want to be a dad one day. I'm like, well, would you let your kids do what you're doing? He's like, no. I'm like, well, then why would I let mine? I love you and I care about you. It's the same thing with God. As many as I love, I rebuke and chase and be zealous, therefore, and repent. See, our issue is that we're not zealous about our repentance. What does it mean to repent? Give me a good definition of repent. Because there's a lot of definitions that are out there. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. And that would be over-encompassing. So there are certain people that say you haven't repented until you've actually done something about it. So like, but if you think about it, for example, um, I don't know, let's pretend there's a fire here. Okay. All right. Let's just pretend we don't want a fire in the church, but anyway, but I am about to walk into this fire. Okay. If I see that fire and I do not repent, I'm going to walk right into the fire. Bad idea. If I see the fire, and in my mind, I'm like, I better repent, I better turn away from that fire, and then I turn back, okay? So there's a lot of people that think you haven't repented until you've actually turned. But I know people that have turned away from the fire, but in their mind, they still want to go there. That's not true repentance. And I know some people that have changed their mind and say, I don't want to go there, but then they do. So what's true repentance? It begins in your mind, but then it works its way out through your life. So when a person gets saved, they have to repent. They have to understand they're a sinner that needs a savior. But then the Bible says in, in Romans 10, 9 and 10 and 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. Like if you really in your heart and in your mind know that you need God and that you are a sinner and you can't make it without him, it will cause you to do something about it. It will cause you to call upon him for him to save you. So what is true repentance? It's really both when you really think about it. But there are some people that can repent in their heart and in their mind, but never act on it, which that's in between them and God. Like, I, I don't understand that, but I also know the way my heart is and the way that I've done things. Because I, when I sin, I might acknowledge in my mind, this is a bad idea, but then I go and I do it and I still sin against God. So repentance, repentance, it's a change of mind. God bless you. It is a change, it is a change of mind first. It is a change of mind and a change of heart from the way you are going towards God, your way to God's way. And then it is shortly thereafter accompanied by actions of repentance because it should. If you care about somebody, you don't just say you love them, you actually love them by the things that you do in your life. First John talks about that three, I think it's uh, 18. It says, my little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. We don't love by our words. We love by what we do. But you can't just love someone with your actions and never say it either. It's kind of the same concept. All right, Ezekiel 20, verse 43. Listen to this verse. Now, before I, he reads this verse, before Isaac reads this verse, this verse uh, really moves me in my heart because Israel, if you read the Old Testament, oh my gosh, Israel, they are a mess. 
They turn toward God, then away from God. They, they follow God, and then they don't want anything to do with them. They're married unto God, and then they go and they fornicate with all the nations of the world. I mean, it is just an absolute mess. But there's coming a day where God is going to set all things right, and the nation of Israel is going to be his again. All right, Isaac, read that one. Okay, one more time, and actually stand up if you can, because I want everyone to hear you a little bit more. This one's project. And there shall you remember your ways and all your doings, wherein ye have been defiled, and ye shall loathe yourselves in your own sight for all your evilness that ye have committed. Okay. So he says that you are going to loathe your own selves. You're going to remember all the things that you've done against me, and you're gonna hate yourself. You're gonna absolutely hate yourself for what you've done unto me, but yet God still received them. That's what it's like as a Christian. It's kind of a weird dynamic. Like some people might read and say, man, they're depressed. <laughs> I mean, honestly, if I was left to myself, I would be depressed. Knowing me and who I am as a sinner, absolutely. But I can also think very lowly of myself and still understand that I'm accepted by God and loved and feel like I belong. That's what it's like being a biblical Christian because I am a sinner. There's no way that I can make it without God. I am a miserable wretch that deserves nothing but hell and the lake of fire for all eternity. And I know that with all my heart. And yet I am accepted and loved by God. So I don't want to think of myself more highly than I ought to. And someone who's humble, honest, and I wanted to make sure your blank was thorough about your sin because there are so many people that they're willing to deal with only part of their sin. They're only willing to deal with some of it. And they're not willing to deal with all of it. And I gave the illustration at camp talking about weeding. I hate weeding. I despise weeding. It's just, ah. But God has given you a living illustration right in front of you when you go out and you weed that if you don't pull the weed from the root, it's going to come back. It's going to come back. And there's a lot of people that deal with their sin very similarly. All right, number two. So when you choose to sin, how do I properly deal with it? Remember the truth of the Bible and yield. Remember the truth of the Bible and yield. So first, be humble, be honest, be thorough about your sin, repent, have a change of heart, change of mind, and action should back that up. But number two, remember the truth of the Bible and yield. You have to choose to yield, to submit, to yield to what the Bible actually says, to choose to believe it over how you feel, choosing to believe what God has to say over what you think. And that is Revelation 2, verse 5. Look at Revelation 2. You're in Revelation, so it shouldn't be too difficult to find. If you're having a problem finding the number two, there's a kindergarten class that is available. Just kidding. That was a joke, people. Come on. All right. Verse five. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. See, what I love about God is he says that they've left their first love here in verse four, so he confronts them, even though this is a really good church. But he says, remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works. You know, there are times where I've sinned against God, and I'm trying to examine and analyze what is wrong with my heart. And I have to go back, and I have to remember what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say about me? As a sinner, what does the Bible say about me needing a savior? What does the Bible say about God and about Jesus and how he loves me even though I'm a sinner and I'm his enemy? That helps me. And what does the Bible say about being honest about who I am before God? What does the Bible say about, you know, any, I mean, you just go back. What does the Bible say? What is the truth of the gospel? What is the truth? And then I yield to that truth. I need to yield to it in my own heart, my own mind and go back and do the first works. Go back and remember, what were the things that made me fall in love with God to begin with? 
What was, what was it that made me love God so much that I was willing to give him everything that I am? What was that? And I can't, I can't forget that because when I forget that, that's when I go my own way. So we have to remember those things. Remember the truth and yield. Number three, and this one's a biggie. So let's go to Psalm 51 because we got to look at this one. Psalm 51. We had an entire camp one year all about this. Psalm 51. Psalm 51. Whenever I'm struggling with sin, I go to this chapter. When I'm looking to get right with God and right with other people, I go to this chapter. If I'm working with someone who's really struggling with something in their own heart and their own mind about sin, or maybe a way that they've offended uh, someone, and they're trying to make things right, I go to this chapter. This is my go-to chapter, Psalm 51. So you need to acknowledge your sin against God first. You need to acknowledge your sin against God first. So be humble about who you are. Be humble about your sin. Be thorough about it. Repent. Remember the truth of the Bible and yield to it and acknowledge your sin against God first. Oftentimes I find that when I sin against somebody or I make a mistake, I am very quick to go to them first rather than going to God first. I need to go to God first. And there's a great example here in Psalm 51. So somebody give me the context. What's the context of Psalm 51? We've talked about it enough that there should be at least one person in the room that knows the context of Psalm 51. And if you have some cheat uh, notes at the beginning of your psalm, then you can go ahead and read that too. Yeah. Yes, Bathsheba taking a bath. All right. (laughs) It's probably why she was named Bathsheba. I mean, that's only the logical conclusion I can come to, right? Yeah, I know. Never made that connection until this moment. (laughs) All right. I was this many years old. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, what else? You got Bathsheba. Sheba was taking a bath on the roof. And who was looking at her? David. David was. And then what did he do? He slept with her. What was that? I was all about the death part. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was coming next. That was coming next. So he lusts after her. So when you read the context, you find out he's supposed to be at battle. He's not at battle. He's at home. He's walking out on the roof, and he sees this woman bathing. And then he's, he's like, you know what? I want her. And so he sends guys. I mean, just to picture this, like the king of Israel, he sends servants to go and get her and bring her to his place. Like, I mean, if I was one of those servants, it would be one of those moments where I'm like, okay, uh, uh, what do we do? What do we do? Because we know this is clearly wrong, but he's the king. I mean, he could put us like to death if we didn't do anything that he says. So we, we better go. But they know, they know this family. They know Uriah. They know Bathsheba's husband. They know David. They know, so they go, they're obedient, and they bring her. But it's, it's not without witness because there was a servant that actually stood up and said, um, isn't that the wife of Uriah? And David's like, yeah, go get her for me. So there was an opportunity, but he just completely passed by it. So then he brings her. He sleeps with her. She goes back home, and then she sends him a little note that says, yo, I'm prego. That's the worst, man. <laughs> all right anyway okay <laughs> you're speaking like you have experience so all right so so anyway this is public record it's going on our podcast Andy. <laughs> all right so anyway so sends him a note and then he's like well shoot <laughs> so then what does he do that's when he kills uriah and he kills uriah 
after he tries to convince your eye, come back home. Hey, man, how's the battle? How things are going? Hey, I want you to just enjoy your time at home. I'm going to feed you. I'll give you stuff to drink. You'll be fine. Go and spend time with your wife. So he tries to cover it up. He tries to make him sleep with his own wife in order to cover it up and pretend like he's the father. And then what happens? He's like, no, I wouldn't do that. My brethren are in battle. How, would, how could I go back to my house, spend time with my family? They was like, ugh. I mean, you can just start to see this unfold. It's another episode of, of just, you know, just <laughs> the soap opera, uh, the soap operas of the Bible. And so then he doesn't go do it. And so then he goes back to battle. And so David's finally like, all right. He talks to the captain. He says, you need to put Uriah at the front of the hottest battles because I want him smitten and I want him dead. And so that's exactly what happens. So he ends up killing Uriah using the sword of the enemies of Israel. And then he proceeds to then marry Bathsheba and pretend like everything's fine. And then Nathan shows up, who's the prophet, and says, dude, you done messed up. You're the man. And he ends up, oh. And so now David is broken. He is absolutely broken before God because he knows what he has done. And he's like, oh my goodness, what in the world was I thinking? And so now he's dealing with his sin. And so this chapter is David's prayer, his intimate one-on-one prayer between him and God after all these events unfold. And now he needs, he wants to get right with God. Look at verse one. The first thing he says right out of the gate, have mercy upon me, O God, because he knows that he deserves to die. That's, that's what the Levitical law actually says. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me throughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. And then look at what he says here. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. See, he's not afraid to acknowledge what he's done and what he's done wrong against God. And my sin is ever before me. So he's not going to cover it up. He's going to be honest about it. He wants to be thorough about it. And he's asking God to cleanse him. And then look at verse four. And this verse amazes me to this day. He says, against thee, thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. Is that a true statement? Think about it. One of the things we do here is we want to get you to think. Against thee, thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. Is that a true statement? Come on. Let logic prevail. Everyone's afraid to answer. (laughs) I mean, God will strike you dead if you're wrong, but go ahead. (laughs) Come on, somebody give me an answer. No, it is not a true statement. It isn't because who did he sin against? Uriah, Bathsheba, Israel, which is a whole lot of people, (laughs) the servants. I mean, you start to think about, you start to think about all the things, all the people that he sinned against as the king of Israel. And yet, what does he say to God? God, against you and you alone have I sinned in this evil in my, in thy sight. There's a key here that is like, I mean, it is like, it is gold. It is gold. If you really want to deal with your sin, I mean, truly, truly deal with your sin at its core. You want to root it out from the very bottom. It begins right here. It's not about the other people yet. It's not about the other people yet. It's about you and God alone first. If you are not willing to acknowledge your sin and what you deserve before God and God alone then you can never get rid of the sin properly. It's never going to happen. 
because it begins with God. It begins with him. And then once you deal with it between you and God, now you have the right heart attitude in order to deal with it with other people, in order to make it right and to do whatever is necessary. And so David knew that. There's no way that he could go to Bathsheba and make it right. There's no way that he could go to his servants and make it right. There's no way that he could go to the nation of Israel and make it right if he did not go to God first and say, God, against you and you alone have I done this. I've sinned against you. I've sinned against you first and foremost above anybody else because I knew it was right and I chose to do something completely different. And I know I deserve to die and you spared my life. I sinned against you. Man, that is the place where it begins. And think about it. When you got saved, if you're saved today, is that not the same place that you started with you and God there at salvation? It's the exact same place. Because you had to come to a spot before you were saved where you say, God, I have sinned against you. I don't care about anybody else. I have sinned against you and I need you to save me because if you don't save me, I am going to go to hell. And my life will be a waste and a wreck. It's you and you alone. See the connection? Because we as Christians can let sin fester and get in us and ruin all the things that God wants us to do. And so in order to make it right, we got to do what Revelation 2, 5 says. Remember from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works. That's what we're talking about here. It's going back to the beginning. You've sinned against God. And once you reconcile yourself between you and God and your fellowship is now restored, because you can't lose your salvation. Once you're saved, you're always saved, but you can lose your fellowship. So once your fellowship with God is restored, now you can go and make things right with other people. That's when you can go do it. Don't go to other people first and then try to make it, all right, God, I've proven to you that I've made it right because I've made it right with all these other people. No, get right with God first and then go to other people. So that is the pattern that David gives us in Psalm 51. And it is absolutely beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. So, um, man, I wish we could spend more time talking about that. But that is the core of what I wanted to hit for point number three. All right, point number four. So acknowledge your sin against God first. And then point number four, recognize your sin against others. Take personal responsibility and do whatever is necessary to make it right. All right, so everybody go to Hebrews 12 and give me volunteers for James 1.14. Got that one. And then uh, James 5.16, Emily. And then Kendall, take Galatians 6.1. All right, and then everyone go to Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12. All right, so I want you to listen to this process, and then we're going to finish it off in Hebrews in order to illustrate this point. All right, recognize your sin against others, take personal responsibility, and do whatever is necessary, whatever is necessary, whatever, whatever is necessary to make it right. All right, listen to James 1.14. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Okay, so where does temptation come from? Based on that verse. Go ahead and read it again. When he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Whose lust? Your own. So sin always comes from inside of you. That's where it begins. Your own lust and you're enticed. And, and even more technically, it starts in your mind. That's where it really begins. And so that's where it begins. And then uh, James 5.16. Prayer of 
Okay, confess your faults. Now, there's some other translations of the Bible that say confess your sins one to another. That's not what the King James says. And there's a reason why the King James says confess your faults. We're not supposed to be going and confessing our sins just openly and doing whatever. Confessing your faults, however, are completely different. So this isn't like some sort of Catholic operation. You have to go and confess all of your sins to these people in order to make it right. No, you confess your faults. Because there are some times that you do have to handle these things with discretion. You do. You don't have to be open and honest about absolutely every small detail of your sin. I don't want to know all that. Like, there are some people that, for whatever reason, when they're confessing, instead of confessing their faults, they start to confess their sins, and they start to go down this list. But what happens is, because this is their flesh, their flesh feels as if they're justifying their sinful behavior because they're actually detailing out every little bit that they've done against that person. And that's not dealing with your sin. It's not. Confessing your faults, your faults, and sometimes you might have to get more specific, but the Bible does not say you're supposed to confess your sins to one another. It does not say that, confessing your faults. And there is a difference. There is a difference. But you need to be willing to be able to confess those faults. Confess your mistakes that you make in order to make things right. And then Galatians 6.1. Okay, there's a lot to that verse that I want to talk about, which we will in a minute. But the whole point of there is it says, Brethren, if a, if a man be overtaken in a fault, those that are, are, which are spiritual, they restore. So the whole goal is restoration, to restore. There's a lot of Christians that are horrible at this, absolutely horrible at this, because they never restore someone back into the friendship that they had. Because they have so wronged me or I have wronged them to the point that we can't even have a friendship anymore. That is ungodly. That is completely ungodly. You should be able to deal with things from your perspective when you are the offender towards another person where you can restore that relationship. Now, there might be trust that's broken, but forgiveness is always available. And for Christians that do not forgive, they are acting like the devil. And they are sowing seeds of discord among believers, and it is absolutely wrong. It's one of the things that God hates. So we need to make sure that we handle that properly. But when you are the offender, you recognize your sin against others because sin comes from inside of you. You take personal responsibility and you're willing to confess your faults one to another and you do whatever is necessary to make it right because the whole goal is restoration. Now, there's a great example of this in Hebrews 12. So look at Hebrews 12 and take a look at verse um, 11. It talks about how when God uh, rebukes us or chastens us, it now tells us something that's really, really neat here. So verse 11, it says, Now, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. We don't like chastening. If you like being disciplined by God, you're crazy. You're a crazy person. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth a peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. When you are chastened by God, the product afterward is that it produces righteousness. So when you really deal with sin properly, it doesn't produce more sin. It doesn't produce more mistakes. It produces righteousness, which is the opposite. So it's important to understand. And then look at the response here, because this is what he describes. Wherefore, if this is true, wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Okay, before I get to verse 15, which actually I'm going to get to 15 later. So we're going to hold off on that one. He says in verse 12, Lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, and, but let it rather be healed. Okay. Sometimes when I make mistakes and I sin against people, you know what my countenance is? Oh, 
right? It's exactly what Hebrews just describes. So if you're willing to be chastened by God and to deal with your sin, wherefore, lift up the hands that hang down and your feeble knees. Get a good countenance to you. You've dealt with this thing, right? You need to be able to move forward. If you've actually dealt with this and you're doing whatever's necessary to be right, you have no reason to be cowering in fear or in embarrassment. I mean, there might be a moment for embarrassment in order to deal with your sin and deal with it properly, but don't, don't be walking out all, all depressed and down about yourself and down about what you've done. Acknowledge your transgressions. I have sinned and I've completely messed up. Don't be walking around like this. I struggle with that. I do. Because I tend, I tend to deal with my sin, but then I tend to hang on to the guilt because I take it personal. And in doing so, I sin against God again because I'm not willing to move forward. I'm not willing to deal with it thoroughly enough where I can actually move forward with my life. Does all that make sense? I hope it makes sense. Okay. And that leads to our next point, number five. Forgive, receive forgiveness, and move forward. Forgive, receive forgiveness, and move forward. Go to 2 Corinthians 2. 2 Corinthians 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Again, this is a struggle that I have. It's very easy for me to forgive someone. Very easy. Just based on my personality and my demeanor and and the way I'm wired, it's very easy for me to forgive someone. And I'm even willing to trust someone, even though they may not deserve it. That's just the way I'm wired. There's other people that you've got to do a lot in order to earn someone's trust back. What's hard for me is forgiving myself. That's where I have a very hard time. I really do. And it's something that I struggle with. And I have to keep struggling with it between me and God. Because there are times where I feel like I should be punished way more than what I actually am. And so I have to learn how to not just forgive, but I have to learn how to receive forgiveness. To receive forgiveness from other people and even from myself. Because you are not able to move forward unless you're able to do that. So 2 Corinthians chapter 2. There was a man in uh, this church that, I mean, he totally messed up. And Paul called him out in the first book of Corinthians. I mean, he was, he was messing around with some, some really grievous fornication. And, uh, and he was actually kicked out of the church for a period of time until he decided to make things right. And he did. He made things right. And so here Paul says something very important. This man who did something incredibly grievous that was very offensive in the eyes of God, um, he was willing to make things right. And so Paul tells them how they should receive him. So 2 Corinthians chapter 2, take a look at verse 6. Sufficient to such a man is this punishment which was inflicted of many. So that contrarywise, he ought to rather ought rather to forgive him and comfort him. Why? Lest perhaps such an one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. Wherefore, I beseech you that you would confirm your love toward him. For to this end also did I write that I might know the proof of you, whether ye be obedient in all things. To whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgave anything to whom I forgave it, For your sakes forgave I it in the person of Christ. And here's another reason. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. So this guy was broken, and he was sorrowful, and he was, I mean, I I really, I identify with this guy on how I deal with sin. And so he tells the church, listen, you guys need to receive him. You need to love him. You need to confirm your love toward him. Because if you don't, 
He could be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow, depression, and get so down about this that he might end up killing himself. He needs to be loved by you. He has dealt with his sin and it's over. He's been forgiven in the person of Christ. I forgive him too. You guys need to forgive him and you need to confirm your love toward him. So this is important. Dealing with sin is always a two-sided issue. Us as the offender and then the people that we've offended. And that's our next point, which we don't have time to go through all the verses, but I want to at least describe them as much as possible. All right, so that's the first point. When I choose to sin against others, how do I properly deal with it? You gotta be humble. You gotta be honest. You gotta be thorough about your sin and you gotta repent. You need to remember the truth of the Bible and you need to yield to it. You need to acknowledge your sin to God first and you need to recognize your sin against others. Take personal responsibility and do whatever is necessary to make it right. Do whatever is necessary. I don't care if it's something that is crazy. <laughs> you do whatever is necessary to make it right. Receive or forgive, receive forgiveness and move forward. Okay, so when others choose to sin against me, how do I properly deal with it? Okay, how many of you have been in that boat? Someone sinned against you and you just want to be like, <laughs> I want to wring their neck. I've been in that. <laughs> you're, you're never, you're never, never like that. Never. So when people sin against me, how do I properly deal with it? Because here's the reality. Offenders are definitely guilty. But I have seen many different cases where people on the other side of the issue actually become the greater offender because they're not willing to forgive someone who wants to make things right. And that is just as bad. It is just as bad. So when others choose to sin against me, how do I properly deal with it? All right, first of all, be humble and adopt Christ's mindset. Be humble and adopt Christ's mindset. Go to Ephesians 4 for this one. Ephesians 4. A little bit to your right. Ephesians chapter 4. This is hard. This is not easy to do. But when someone sins against you, you need to be humble and you need to adopt Christ's mindset. Ephesians 4, verse 31 and 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away, put away from you with all malice. And be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Okay, very, very powerful. Very powerful. What has God forgiven you of? Everything. Everything, right? Does God hold any sin against you in Jesus Christ? Not one. Not a single one. Do you deserve it? Nope. Absolutely not. And yet God does not hold a single sin against you in Jesus Christ. Why do we let ourselves hold sins against us towards each other? Why do we do that? Because if God has forgiven you and God is able to forgive you, should you not be able to forgive other people? Yes. Yes, <laughs> yes. yes absolutely. I mean, I remember the parable. I think of the parable of... of, of 
uh, Jesus even shared it where he said, you have the guy who goes to the king and the king's like, listen, you need to pay me or I'm going to throw you in prison. And he's like, please, please just forgive me. I, I, I don't have the money to pay. And so he's like, you know what? I'm going to be compassionate. I'm going to forgive you your debt. And that same guy goes out and he grabs another guy and says, hey, you owe me like five bucks. You owe me five bucks. I want my money. I don't have it. All right, well, I'm going to throw you and your family in prison. Okay, come on, hypocrite. If you've been forgiven, why won't you forgive? Trust is a different issue. It's a different issue. Trust is something that is built over time. But you should always be able to forgive. Always. And not hold anything against other believers. Or even this lost world. Because who did Christ die for? All. For God so loved the world. So I don't care what the world does to you. You don't hold it against them. Instead, it should cause you great pity. It should make you feel bad for this world, knowing their destination. So be humble. Jesus said in Luke 6, one of your references there, he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. While he's on the cross, while Jesus is on the cross, he's like, Father, forgive them. They have no idea what they're doing. That's incredible. Great example for us to follow. Number two, when someone sins against us, we should be humble and adopt Christ's mindset, but we should consider ourselves. Consider yourself. Consider yourself. Galatians 6.1 says that, that when you are restoring someone who's fallen, you do it in a spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Okay. That's huge. That is absolutely huge. That is like Donald Trump. Huge. It is huge because if you are trying to restore someone and you're not considering yourself, then you have the temptation to think that you are better than that person. You think that you're better. And so then you walk into a circumstance where you're supposed to be restoring them and yet you're talking down to them and demeaning them. How is that going to restore anybody? It's not. You consider yourself. You know, whenever I'm in a situation with somebody where they're dealing with like big issues, my first reaction after I hear the whole story is I'm like, oh. And I got to think about it. I'm like, man, if I were them and in that same position, I probably would have done the exact same thing. And then it helps me because then I can put myself in their situation and then I can help lead them to the paths of righteousness through the word of God. I need to consider myself. In uh, Luke 6, it talks about, you know, if you're going to go to your brother or your sister and you're going to say, hey, you've offended me. uh, It says, well, make sure that you check your own eye first because you're telling them to get a little speck out of their eye when you have this giant beam, this giant moat that's in your own eye. You better check yourself first and making sure that you're doing what you're supposed to do because you don't want to be a hypocrite. So consider yourself. Number three, when others sin against you, how do you properly deal with it? Forgive. Forgive. And let it go. Let it go. Let it go. You've got to let it go. Or you got to deal with it. There are some things that happen that you just forgive and you just let it go. And you never go and talk with that other person. But if you're not able to do that, then you need to go and you need to deal with it. You've got to. It is unjust for you to hang on to something and not talk to somebody else about it if they've offended you. You've got to be able to do that. Hebrews 12 was our verse for that one. Eh, we got time. Go to it. Hebrews 12. I said we were going to hit this other part of the verse because we've got to. This was a big verse in my heart that really helped me really gain the courage in order to make things right in a certain circumstance of my past. So Hebrews 12, we just talked about how you're supposed to lift up your hands which hang down, the feeble knees, and make straight the paths of your feet. And then it says, follow peace in verse 14 with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. And then look at verse 15. 
looking diligently lest any man fail the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you and thereby many be defiled. You know, if someone has wronged you and you let it fester, the Bible calls that a root of bitterness. Now, where you have a root, what happens with a root as you begin to feed it? It begins to grow and blossom and become something much bigger. Bitterness is like that. If you let bitterness go and you continually feed that bitterness, it grows into this giant, giant tree that is almost impossible to root out. But if you know that root of bitterness is in there and you're willing to reach deep down in and yank it out, then you're not going to be defiled and you're not going to defile other people. Because if you let bitterness reign in your life, it's exactly what it says. It will spring up. It's going to trouble you and thereby many be defiled. You will not be able to do anything pleasing to God. Your life is not going to be a blessing to anyone. You are going to be a curse. You are going to curse the people around you because you're not willing to deal with bitterness in your own life. That's a very powerful verse. Very important verse. So forgive and let it go or deal with it. Whichever, you, it, I mean, sometimes it's, it's okay to just forgive that person and never have a conversation with them again and you just let it go. But there's other times where you just can't. And if you can't let it go, then you've got to deal with it. And then number four, live in peace with all men as much as possible. As much as possible. Do whatever you can in order to be at peace with someone if it is possible. That's what Romans 12, 18 says. It does not say live in peace with all men because that is impossible. It's not possible to do that. So do whatever you can. I've been in circumstances in my own life where I have tried to make peace about issues and about circumstances, and it has never been reciprocated. And it probably never will be. And I got to be okay with that. I got to be okay with that. So live in peace as much as possible with all men. And then number five, if it cannot be resolved, leave it to the Lord. If it cannot be resolved, leave it to the Lord. Let's go to Romans 12 and give me two readers. Proverbs 24, 29. Who wants that one? Sam, you got that one? And then uh, 1 Peter 4, 19. Who wants that? Okay. okay. Thank you, Ethan. All right, everybody else go to Romans chapter 12, and then we will finish here. Romans 12. All right, Romans chapter 12. All right, verse 18 is our verse for the last one. I'll just read it again and then hit 19. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. And see, that's what gives the person the ability to be obedient to verse 20. Therefore, if thine enemy be hunger, feed him. And if he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. So if you can't resolve it, you need to leave it with God. He's the one that's going to make all things right one day. And so we have to be okay with it. We have to be okay with certain things being unresolved and just leaving it in the hands of God, knowing that he's not going to overlook it. He will deal with it one day. All right, Proverbs twenty four twenty nine. Listen to this one. Say not, I will do so to him as he hath done to me. I will render to the man according to his work. Yeah. Our first instinct is that we do to others what they do unto us. That's our first instinct. And I'm telling you, that is a vicious cycle that will never end. 
Because once one person wrongs you and then you do it in return, now they're going to act enact vengeance and then you're going to do it and then you're, they're going to do it and then you're going to do it and then where does it stop? It doesn't stop until you're both destroyed and it can't go that way. It cannot go that way. And then 1 Peter 4.19. Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their soul to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. Okay, so God even says in that one, commit your soul to God in well-doing. So if everybody else offends you and they don't do what's right, who cares? You do what's right and God will keep everything out supposed to be. He'll keep it intact and he'll preserve it. All right, so I hope you see why we needed to talk about this because this one, I mean, this one's a deep one. (laughs) This one is a deep one. It is a hard one. It is one that is not easy to learn. But this is like what it's like. I mean, how many of you like to eat rotted fruit? Anybody? Anybody? I mean, the only one that comes close is bananas. I'll, I'll take some rotted bananas and I'll make a smoothie out of it. And that's about it. That's about it. Yeah, there you go. There you go. So you see that in your fridge and you're like, mmm, mmm, delish. No, you don't do that. You're psycho if you do that. No way. But see, this is what sin does. It takes a perfectly good fruit or piece of food and it destroys it. I hate getting into the bag of bread and reaching in and I'm about to make a sandwich and all of a sudden there's just mold. I'm like, yes. dang it. Because now what do I have to do? I got to throw the whole bag away. <laughs> or there's the bobbies of the world that play with fire. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Depends on how much you love that bread. Okay. So this is the whole point because, because here's the reality behind it. This is a huge pitfall. This is a pitfall that everyone falls into, and it will stop you dead in your tracks from growing. It will stop you in any ability that you might have to glorify God. It will destroy any opportunity you have to witness to somebody. It will, just, it will destroy everything. So your Christian life hinges upon this lesson. If you can really go over this stuff and get this stuff in your heart and in your mind, when things come up and you're struggling, man, take this stuff. I mean, if you have space in your Bible— I would write this stuff out in your Bible so that when somebody offends you, you have a place you can go to to say, all right, I need to check my heart attitude. And you've got something that you can work through, a little study that you can work through in order to make sure that everything's okay between you and God. So that way things can be okay between you and other people. So that way God can be glorified. So this one is a very important lesson. And I hope you guys take heed and, uh, and me as well. I hope I take heed to this because there are days that I forget this. And when I forget this, I can't glorify God. Sweet. All right. Any questions? (laughs) <laughs> oh, not that kind of sick. Got it. <laughs> All right. All right. Nothing? All right, sweet. All right, somebody pray. Then we're done. Who would like to pray? Close it out. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Ethan will do it. Ethan's got it. <laughs> he just now recognized what happened. He's like, what? What? <laughs> All right, Ethan, go ahead. Dear God, thank you for the aid you've given to us in the building that we're able to meet in. Thank you for Stephen and just getting your word out there to everyone here that needed to hear it. And just thank you for everyone's willingness to come, whether they were forced to or came here willingly. I know that they heard what they needed to tonight. Just thank you for this time that you've given us. In your name, amen. Amen.